This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. In the second part of this talk on genuine spirituality, Reggie describes the outer, inner, and secret forms of the retreat container. By respecting the forms in retreat, we come to discover the abundance of our true life. This talk was given at the 2002 Winter Datun Retreat, held in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. To find out about the upcoming Winter Meditation Intensive at the Blazing Mountain Retreat Center in Crestone, Colorado, please visit dharmaocean.org. It's a matter of um, holding our energy. Usually what happens in life is when we are going through something painful, something um, unpleasant, or maybe just something unwanted, something that doesn't fit into our current scheme. React against it, we shut it down. If it's a painful emotion, we try to discharge it in some way. You know, we we might um, talk to somebody, yell at somebody, say something to somebody, uh, distract ourselves in a certain way, or push it down, push the emotion down underground. And all of those are ways of um, preventing the mind from regaining its natural wholeness. There's something in us that wants to be whole. Now, mind you, there's something in us that wants to be perfect. But that's the ego. Perfectionism is a function of the ego. It's basically the ultimate ego trip. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to do this perfectly. But there's something deeper in us that wants to be whole. And you really have a choice in life, and everyone has this choice. You can either strive to be perfect, or you can strive to be whole. If you strive to be whole, you have to surrender to your process. You have to surrender to the the seasons of your own psyche, of your own uh, internal working. You have to give yourself room to be in darkness, to be depressed, You have to give yourself room to be tired. You have to give yourself room to be completely uninspired. And you have to realize that allowing yourself to be depressed, tired, and totally uninspired is the ultimate uh, trust in the universe. Most of us can't do that. And um, many, many people shortcut and shortchange their journey. When they start to feel that darkness, they run to get a a drink or uh, medicate themselves or run to their psychiatrist. And the reason is because they've been told, "You you shouldn't have any strong feelings. If you have strong feelings, there's something wrong with you. If you feel joy, then you're manic and we have to bring you down. If you feel depression, then you're, that's a pathological condition, we have to bring you up. But they don't really bring us down or bring us up, they just basically deaden us, so we don't feel anything. 
That's because we live in a culture where any kind of strong emotion or feeling is regarded as being non-productive. You know, it's dangerous to the uh, gross national product. We can't have people working in corporations who are feeling joy. We can't have people who uh, trust their own creativity. At the top, we can. You know, the guys at the very, very top, and they are guys, almost always, you know, they can be creative. But anybody else who's creative and has independent thinking, it's not good. It's not good for the, the corporation. And we certainly don't want anybody who's depressed, who may feel that um, you know, working in a, in a glass office their whole life is wasting their life. You know, we can't have people thinking that way because they might not do a good job and they might not fulfill their role in the corporation. The corporate mentality cannot tolerate individuality, usually. And only very, very strong, creative, or very, very intelligent people can find their way through that and survive. And there are people that do. But for most people, the message is, and, and this message goes all the way down you know, into our school system, into kindergartens, that if you have any kind of strong feeling any kind of uh, uh, highs or lows, any kind of vividness in your experience, that's uh, not wanted. It's not welcomed. So what we're doing here is something very, very different from that. We are creating a space where all of the brittle control mechanisms of our lives can begin to soften and uh, soften to the point where other things can begin to come through. And in the beginning, much of what comes through is somewhat dark. You know, we we may think that we're a very intelligent person, and all of a sudden we see that we're idiots, that we're stupid. We actually see it. And for a period of time, we live in the reality where we are just completely stupid and completely different from what we thought. Or maybe we think that we're actually a very kind person and we find ourselves actually being nasty and vicious to someone else. And at that time, we experience ourselves as being nasty and vicious. Or we might think of ourselves as being very kind of um, holding ourselves very still and very spiritual. And if someone says hello to us, we don't deign to respond because we are too spiritual for that. (laughs) And somebody says to us, you know, I think you're an asshole. (laughs) And we get it. You know, we we see it. We see, suddenly we see the mirror is held up. You know, it doesn't work. That kind of, uh, you know, entering into an environment with a willing heart that is going to... uh, you know, dislocate us in that kind of fundamental way and create um, a much bigger and richer experience of ourselves takes a lot of courage, takes a lot of daring to do it. And that's what we're doing here. The um, whole process of working to create this container, and I'm sorry, if someone can think of a better word, (laughs) I'll use it, but until until that happens, I'm going to have to use this one is a way of helping us to hold our energy. That's ultimately what this is about. 
Learning the forms of Oriyoki is not really about doing Oriyoki perfectly. It's about learning to hold our energy so we don't dissipate it constantly. Coming and sitting here in silence, we're learning to hold our energy. And by holding, I mean holding the way you would a baby. You hold your energy gently. And with a baby, if a baby starts crying, you don't put it in the other room and shut the door, or you don't you know, hit the baby to try to make it be quiet. You hold the baby in, a, in a, a tender and very present way. And creating this environment that we're doing here, that is what we're learning to do with our energy. In, the, in this practice, there's a, an outer, inner, and a secret container. The outer container is the land itself and the buildings, what's been set up here, the staff, people that are very well trained. The inner container is the array of forms that we practice at the Datun. And we're going to be working on that. You know, it's probably going to take us a week before we have this uh, really uh, working in a way that is effortless for us. So we can really relax into it because that's actually the goal, to relax into the forms so that when we're eating Oriyoki, we have transcended worrying about the form that we do it in a natural way. And, and you may notice that your awareness of the other people and your sense of including them as you sit there and eat your meal, the sense of the weather outside, sunshine or the wind, whatever, your mind through Oriyoki is able to come into a, a state of stillness. And uh, you're, you're eating and you're active, you're feeding yourself, but you're not distracting yourself. You're not discharging your energy. You're not releasing your energy. You're holding your energy through the form. And likewise with everything else we do here. So that's the inner form. And then the secret uh, form or the secret container is our awareness itself. Being able to be present to what is occurring without running away in one way or another. Within this practice, the practice of silence is very, very important. And I want to say a few words about that. The problem with speech is that almost all speech is a discharge of energy. It is a way of avoiding what we are feeling. And in a few days, we will be having a a whole day of silence, and then we'll be having more silence. And we'll see, in terms of this datum, how much silence is appropriate for all of us. But when we are silent, the many, many times during the day where something comes up, we see someone we want to grab onto, we see someone we want to pacify, we see someone we want to please, all of those things that we normally would, all of those feelings that we would normally discharge by going and talking to somebody, now we will simply be with those feelings within ourselves. And it gives us a chance to see much, much more about what's going on. The strange thing about neurotic behavior is when it doesn't, when it isn't pushed down and it isn't discharged, it dissipates. It is able to arise, we see it, and then it moves on. Whereas if we, if we react to it, which is what we normally do, we simply reinforce it and keep it going. 
That's what habitual patterns are. They are ways in which we continually reinvent the same wheel over and over and over, and we can never get out, or reinvent the same prison or the same cage. So in terms of the silence, uh, it would be wonderful if some people wanted to take a, a vow of silence for more than the official silent periods. That would be great if anybody feels like doing that. The way that works is that if, you, if we have a silent day, it's very important that everybody here respects that. And silent really means no talking whatsoever. And it's a little bit distracting because the staff, of course, needs, they need to talk to one another to carry on with the datun and do their business. And sometimes we'll have meditation instruction days where you will go and talk to your instructor. So in a way, it's not that you're, you're not going to see anyone talking whatsoever. And if you're on road in the kitchen, people are going to be talking there. Even if you're not, they're going to be talking to you and telling you, you know, we need this or whatever. So it's very important that each person, first of all, takes that seriously and holds, hold the silence yourself. And then the second thing is to um, feel the inner quality of the silence and how it actually helps you to be more with what you're experiencing. In the beginning, it may be a little bit uncomfortable being with people in that way, but I think because we've had some sitting with us, it'll be okay. I think people will enter into it in a very natural way. Now, we did have a morning of silence this morning, and it was pretty good. I mean, this, this is a very good group in general, overall, I would say, as far as that goes. But I think that... Um, you know, we need to stick with it and we need to feel the deepening of the silence as the datun goes on because the interesting thing about silence is in the beginning it's an external practice and you're just not speaking, but eventually it begins to actually come into you and you begin to feel that silence in your, in your body and in your mind. That kind of stillness settles in and you feel, and the space gets bigger at the same time as that silence deepens. So we will do as much silence as the staff feels um, we can handle. We have a month, it seems like a long time, but in a couple of weeks, it's not going to seem like a long time at all. And we have a chance to explore something here that you, you may, some of you may never have a chance to do this again. So my suggestion is we really explore it. Let's find out about it. Let's find out what happens when we don't use speech in that particular way to uh, distract ourselves from what we're feeling. This whole thing about uh, discharging energy is quite interesting, and it's something you might watch over the next couple of days. When you're sitting, have you noticed that when a especially painful thought comes up, you suddenly move, you fidget, you suddenly, you know, you have to move some way. I mean, it's interesting sitting here. You can see the pain going through the room. And there's certain moments when all of a sudden, it's almost as if everybody moves together. It's as if everybody had a similar painful feeling or thought, some really unwanted thing they just saw about themselves. Ooh, I don't, that's, t- ooh, how awful. And by moving, we actually are, we're pushing it back down again. Same way with speech. And same way with things that we do when we're out walking around getting ourselves our tea or whatever. So you might just keep an eye on that. It's a very, very interesting 
thing to explore. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion.